Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, For those of you who might not know me, um, my name is Diane Hockridge. I'm actually on faculty here, but I I live in Sydney. Um, because my main role is looking after the, um, the Ridley Online courses, as um, Marina said before. So it's been great so far to, um, to hear us singing and making a joyful noise to the Lord, which is what this psalm encourages us to do. And as I was reflecting on this psalm, um, I was thinking, you know, you look around the world at the moment and um, I don't see much joy. <laughs> Generally, I see a lot of uh, fear and, and worry, um, a lot of conflict, a lot of tiredness, um, a lot of existential angst, perhaps, um, but not so much joy. The world is um, increasingly, it seems to me, a, a scary and violent and unpredictable place. And yet, as God's people, this psalm and many other psalms call us to rejoice in our hearts and to sing joyfully uh, to the Lord. And so how can we do that when there is so much wrong in the world, um, when the outlook for our planet is looking so bleak? How can we do that uh, when we're in the midst of our own trials and disappointments and personal losses or facing the stress of the end of semester and looming exams or maybe the uncertainty of what happens next for those who are leaving? And, and what even is joy anyway? Um, so as I started thinking about joy, you know, I was thinking, well, what is joy and how do we define it? Um, my first thought really was, you know, when you see a very young child, a toddler or a baby, and they have that sort of uncontrollable laughter um, and you just can't help but laugh along. You can see some YouTube videos along those lines. If you want a good laugh, look for laughing babies. Um, so, yes, yeah, so is that joy? Yeah, perhaps, that sort of uninhibited laughter. Uh, Recently, uh, my son Nathan married his long-term girlfriend, Monique, um, and that was a joyful occasion. Um, I say it was joyful because there was something, it wasn't just happy, there was sort of something bigger and deeper going on, a sense of delight and joy and pleasure in seeing two young people joining their lives together. Um, We were part of something good and, and right and beautiful. And there was laughter and tears and speeches and wine and feasting and dancing. It was a very joyful occasion. Um, So is that joy? Well, perhaps, yes. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that in the Bible um, we're told that heaven's going to be a bit like a marriage feast and we're reminded that Jesus is the bridegroom. So there's certainly some references to those sorts of occasions. But is there more to joy than that? Um, you know, earthly marriages, at least, don't last forever. And um, can we have sort of joy in a sustained kind of way? Um, Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, encourages us, us to do that, doesn't he? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case we missed it, he says it again, rejoice. So can we um, have joyfulness as an ongoing characteristic? Well, this... Um, um, has some pointers for us, I think. It doesn't only call us to sing joyfully and to rejoice in the Lord, um, but it gives us some reasons for why and how we can do that. And those reasons are based on the character and actions of God himself. 
Um, which reminds us that, yeah, joy doesn't come from those ex external things that happen to us. Uh, joy isn't necessarily about, you know, uh, sort of gritting our teeth and putting on a happy face. Um, it comes from God's character and actions. And so we're going to have a look at that together. And if you want to have your Bibles there, which I see most people have already, uh, it's great to be at a Bible college. Um, sometimes, you know, when you're preaching, everybody goes, oh, Bible, Bible, where is it? Um, so... We have that call to sing joyfully at the beginning and then you might have noticed at the end in verses 20 to 22, we sort of have that corporate statement of a response statement of, of trust in God. And in between, uh, we've got four reasons why we might be praising God joyfully. In verses four and five, um, we're reminded of God's faithful, unfailing love, which reminds us that we are loved by him. And then in verses 6 to 9, we're reminded of God's unfailing power and strength, which reminds us that we are in his safe hands. In, God's, in verses 10 to 17, we're reminded we're secure because of God's unfailing purposes, which he achieves in the world. And then in verses 18 to 19, um, we're reminded that God sees us. We are seen by him. So seeing and experiencing God's unfailing love and power and purposes and realising we're the object of his love and that he sees us is a great basis for trust and hope and joy. And from there, that joy can bubble up from that deep assurance that we're loved and seen by God. So let's just work through those. Verses 4 to 5, um, I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his his unfailing love. What is our God like? He's a good God, isn't he? And his word is right and true. That sort of sense of rightness um, is a bit like that idea of a plumb line, you know, the old-fashioned plumb line that you can hold up in carpentry, something that's right and true and upright. And what does God care about? Righteousness and justice. He loves righteousness and justice. That's a good God to have, isn't it? But the thing that um, I really want to focus on is that sense of his unfailing love or his steadfast love. Now, I don't know Hebrew. Um, I know some of you do. Um, but there's one Hebrew word that I often hear referred to, and it's this word, hesed. And I've checked this with Jill, and um, I think it's all okay. So hesed is that, that's that sense of steadfast love, of faithful love, of unfailing love. It's used three times here in this psalm, in this verse 5, in verse 18 and verse 22. And it's used a lot through the Old Testament um, to refer to God's steadfast love for his people. In the Psalms, it refers often to the covenant that God makes with David, his steadfast covenant. And it's variously translated in different um, versions as unfailing love, steadfast love, loving kindness, constant love mercy, covenant faithfulness. So you sort of get the idea of that steadfastness. Um, you know, and it's easy to just sort of say, yes, that's great, God's steadfast love. Um, but we don't really experience it very often, do we? Most of our hurts and disappointments and letdowns in life come from family and friends who aren't steadfast, who hurt us and disappoint us. But God's not like that. He's not going to let us down. He's not going to forget about us or get distracted or change his mind and forgotten what he's promised. He's not going to be moody or sullen or resentful. He's not going to envy us or cheat on us or abandon us. 
He won't ever be malicious or vindictive. He's not going to become old and bitter and twisted and cynical. Um, he's not going to lose his temper. He's not going to lie or deceive us. He won't even tell us white lies to make us feel better. His love is always firm and steadfast and faithful and true, and we can depend on him, which is a wonderful thing and a great basis for joy. So let's move on, verses 6 to 9. The psalmist now reminds us of God's amazing creative power. He made the heavens, the starry host, the seas, all the earth. He's the great and wonderful creator of everything we know and all the things that we don't know as well. Um, it's been great this year, you know, seeing those photos from the, uh, the spaceship with a um, camera that's going out into space and seeing all those amazing galaxies that we haven't been able to see before. And I suppose the opposite way, sort of seeing through the microscope all the, the more and more things that we can see as we develop our technologies. God's made all those things. And most amazingly, in a clear reference to Genesis 1, he made them, it says here, um, by the word, by his word. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So this is a great reminder, isn't it, that um, God's not weak, but he's powerfully active. Um, he's an awesome God who the whole earth and everyone in the world should fear and revere. And I really love in verse 7 those poetic images about, did you notice that, God gathering the, uh, the waters of the sea into jars, um, some versions say bottles. Um, we read something different before, uh, but that idea of sort of gathering things in, into bottles and storehouses. There's some discussion in the commentaries about that word jars or bottles is obviously sort of, you know, hard to translate. Um, but the real sense of it is that we've got someone powerful here, someone who can gather up the waters of the sea and put them into jars or, or bottles. And we've all seen very recently, haven't we, the incredible power of water on the move uh, and the potentially destructive power of water on the move. So we have a God who can just push aside those bodies of water, who can push aside the sea and make a path for his people, uh, who can calm the storm, who can even walk across the, the top of the water. Great reminder of his powerfulness. And a couple of commentators suggest here that this reference to sort of uh, scooping up or moving the water is potentially a reference back to the Exodus where the Israelites passed through the Red Sea. And that makes sense to me. Um, when the Israelites went through the Red Sea, they, you know, sang that song of praise at the end. And Exodus 15:8 says, um, by the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the surging waters stood up like a wall, the deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. So I feel like they're quite similar images between those, uh, Psalm 33 and that Exodus 15. And it makes sense here, I think, that the psalmist is referring back um, to that Exodus because he's saying, what a great and amazing God we have. He created the world and he saved us as his people. And so like the Israelites, we too have the same God, the same strong and powerful God who's powerful to create and to save. And uh, that's another reason for joy. When you know you're in safe hands, uh, you can feel joy. Verses 10 to 17 um, moves from that big picture of all of creation down to looking at the level of, uh, of nations. And again, we're told that God's in control of the nations. 
And, you know, <laughs> you look around the world at the moment and you think, really? Um, is what's going on in the world? Uh, you look at someone like Putin invading Ukraine or, you know, the terrible things that are happening in Myanmar and Afghanistan and many other countries around the world. Um, people abusing power, um, people doing awful things to other people. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I look at that and I just feel so powerless. Um, what can I do in the face of these situations? And, you know, what is God doing? What is God doing in the world? Can we trust him? Um, often we find it hard to discern his hand in world events, don't we? It's easier in the Bible um, because we've got the hindsight and the interpretation. So we know that God used Pharaoh in Egypt and we know that story of the Israelites going through the sea and God bringing them out. And we know how God used the Babylonians to take the Israelites into exile. But there's not much that I've seen in the Bible about Putin and Ukraine. Um, so sometimes it can be quite challenging. But what we do know from the Bible and from, from these verses in verses 10 and 11 is that um, God is in charge and he has the power to thwart the plans of people and that ultimately it's going to be his purposes that come to pass. Verse 10 and 11 are very clear on that. The plans and purposes and of the people and nations are foiled and thwarted by God, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. And again, I love that phrase as well, um, as it is in the NIV, the purposes of his heart through all generations. We're getting a glimpse here into the purposes of God's very heart and how he's working them out generation after generation. And what are his purposes? Well, they're to call a people for himself, choosing a nation, uh, initially Israel, choosing his people of Israel in verse 12, a people who are known and loved by him and who know and love him in return. Um, and that's the story of the Bible, isn't it? God choosing a nation, a people for himself. And now um, in our New Testament age, um, you know, it's expanded to us as Gentiles who are um, called to be his people. So world history is not um, random or out of control. The psalmist who wrote this psalm, probably um, David, but we don't know for sure, hadn't seen as much world history as we have now, but he'd seen enough to be able to say, you know, it's okay, God's got this. Um, we've seen him at work in our nation and he's made promises to us and he's kept them. He can be trusted. His promises aren't going to be thwarted. And we can say the same. We're in his good hands. We're in safe hands. We're secure in the knowledge that God's purposes are going to be achieved. Um, and if you notice in verses 13 to 15, we've got even further reasons for trusting God because we're reminded that nothing takes him by surprise. He sees all. He watches all. Um, he watches everyone who lives on earth. He considers everything they do. You know, this is pretty amazing, really, isn't it? Clear reference to God's omniscience, seeing and knowing all, and even forming the hearts of all. I found that interesting to think about, forming our hearts. For people who don't know God, this is actually uh, quite a fearful thing, um, being known and seen in such a way. But for us, for his people, it's another reason for joy, uh, another reason for trust and hope. Can we trust God? Of course, yes, we can. And really, why would we trust anyone or anything else? Uh, not our own strength, not um, armies or horses, um, as it says here. I suppose referring to the things that we make as supports for ourselves, the things that we're likely to trust in. 
yeah, none, none of those things we make for ourselves um, are going to last or be really worthwhile. Rather, we can trust the God who puts the waters of the sea into jars and who we know can um, determine his purposes and carry them out. And then as we move towards the end of the psalm, verses 18 to 19, we're sort of narrowing in yet again. And we're reminded that God uh, doesn't only have his eyes on the whole world and all the people in the world, but he has his eyes particularly on his people, particularly on us. Um, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope are in his unfailing love. God's heart is shown where his eyes are focused and God is focused on his people. He sees us. We are seen by him. He's not just the big God who made the world. He's not detached and distance, distant and away, a long way away, but he's involved and caring and he's concerned for us. Um, he sees us and knows us. And we can ask him for help as we're encouraged <coughs> to do. Um, ask him to deliver us from death and to keep us alive in famine or dearth, as the lovely um, version said that we read out before. Um, whatever our needs are, we can bring them to God. Um, and as God's heart is shown where his eyes are focused, I suppose the challenge for us is our hearts are shown where our eyes are focused. So where are our eyes focused? Are our eyes on him, even in the midst of the difficult things that are going on for us? Uh, do we fear him? Do we keep putting our hope in his unfailing love? Because those last two verses of the psalm call us to do exactly that, to put our hope in God and to joyfully live out our trust in him. They invite us as God's people to declare our faith and trust, to declare it with our mouths and with our joyful singing. Um, did you notice at the beginning uh, when it was talking about come to God and sing joyfully, um, that it tells us that singing is actually the right thing to do as God's people. And you get a sense of that sometimes, don't you, when you're singing. It's, it's, this is the right thing to do. Um, and we're called to sing a new song, uh, to, uh, to play skillfully and to shout for joy. I think we can sing new songs because God's mercies are new and never-ending, um, as we've sung, um, new every morning. I don't think it means that we should never sing old songs. Um, and we did that this morning. We sang a couple of great old songs, didn't we? So I think it's more getting at, um, as we sing, having that fresh awareness of God's grace and, and making it a fresh expression of our praise to him. And did you notice um, about the musicians playing skillfully? And thank you, musicians, for playing skillfully and singing skillfully today. Um, I think that's a reminder, you know, not that we have our musicians in church to, you know, perform beautifully for us, which they often do. Um, but it's another way of giving praise to God, isn't it, of bringing our best to God, just as when people um, were called to, to build the temple, everything had to be the best, the finest craftsmanship, the best materials and everything. So we, we're called to bring our best to God, um, and that's a good thing to remember as we praise him. In Sydney, um, I attend a Presbyterian church, and so uh, the call in verse 3 to um, shout for joy um, kind of... It's a little bit challenging in a Presbyterian <laughs> environment. <laughs> um, your tradition, you might be more comfortable with um, shouts of loud praise. Um, but I think whatever our tradition, um, many of the Psalms invite us uh, to praise God with heartfelt enthusiasm. Um, 
which expresses our joyful response to God. Recently at our church, we've, we've had a bunch of um, Africans uh, arrive in the congregation and you can see them kind of as they arrive and kind of into the more straight-laced kind of worship style. They're kind of like jiggling around. And they can hardly restrain themselves. Um, they're a great example of joyfulness. Um, but as well as declaring our hope and trust through song, these last verses also invite us to declare it in how we live day by day. Each day, no matter what the circumstances, putting our trust in God. Now, keep trusting in his holy and powerful name. Not relying each day on our own resourcefulness or our own strength, um, but trusting in his strength to shield us um, and calling on him to help us in our trials. Each day putting our hope in him, because really where else would we put our hope? We'd be foolish to put it anywhere else, because if God is for us, who can be against us? And I wonder if you um, can think of someone you know who really models that. It's wonderful, isn't it, when you see Christians really sort of modelling that faith and hope and trust and joyfulness. And for me, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of Anthea. So many of us here would know her. Um, and she passed away recently this year. And I just was really encouraged and inspired by her example. Um, you know, as she got sicker, her faith grew stronger. And she remained um, strong and joyful to the end. And she was a great example. So, um, sorry, getting a bit emotional there, but um, she was a lovely woman. So I suppose as we finish up, um, I just want to encourage us all today, particularly as, a, you know, the end of semester, uh, the end of Ridley for some people, um, as we sort of live in this crazy, scary, unpredictable world and deal with uncertainty and whatever personal griefs and trials and hardships we're going through, um, this psalm's a great reminder that we can keep resting in the security of God's steadfast love for us, um, his faithful love, his loving gaze, which is always turned upon us. Um, he's true, loving and good and faithful and strong and unchanging. And what he purposes in his heart, in his very being, will be what happens. And that's a great reason to rejoice. Um, so let's focus our eyes on him and uh, keep making new songs to our faithful God. I'm just going to finish by praying for us those last two verses. Lord, we do wait in hope for you. You are our help and shield. In you, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in your holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, today, ever as we put our trust in you. Amen. Amen.